Guys, we're going to uh, pray for a minute, but before we do that, uh, I did get word that there are leftover Phil Wickham tickets. So, in the spirit of unity, for Jesus' name, uh, and 2400, you can go grab a free ticket right now if you want and go to the concert. Listen, we're here every week, Phil Wickham's not, so I'm totally cool with that, for real. So if you want to go and be blessed, take a free ticket. If the reason you're here is because you're cheap, not loyal, then you should go, get a free ticket. No, I'm just kidding. No, for real, for real, for real. Honestly, I bless that. Go get a ticket, enjoy yourself. That only happens every once in a while. So 2400 grab a free ticket from Adrian Schmidt, if you know who that is, uh, if you'd like to do that. And then why don't you guys, just uh, as we prepare to read the word together, take a few minutes at your table, pray. Uh, pray for whatever needs you might have going on, or just pray the Lord would really move on our behalf tonight. So take a few minutes to do that, and I'll pray, and, and then we'll jump into God's word together, right? So go ahead and do that.
Father, we uh, lift all these things up to you and help you recognize that we meet to open up your word in the middle of really difficult lives or circumstances, in the middle of stresses and anxieties and worries, in the middle of happy times and joys and things we're anticipating. Uh, and so, Lord, we just ask that your word uh, tonight would do its work in each of our hearts that would help us, God, in the midst of whatever life circumstances that we're in, to live it through and live it for your glory and honor. So I just pray, God, that uh, your word would do its work, that you would grow our love for your word. That's the whole point of this series. God, that you would grow our love for your word. We're so passionate about your word. So would you create something that I can't make happen or anybody else, but create that love for your word tonight, God. So we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, uh, <coughs> Psalm 119, verse 33 through 48, that was just a very interesting social experiment. Uh, of all the people that came to tell me they were going to leave, it was the people that worked for me. Yeah, uh, you guys stayed. Everybody, okay, you two, you, you, you can stay. Good job. Everybody else is fired, and you guys are all hired because you guys are the real. So Monday morning, 9 a.m., show up, McLean Bible Church. I also noticed that some people waited till we all started praying so they could dip out and not feel ashamed, and so uh, I saw them, and uh, let, them, let them know if they're one of your friends that I saw them. Uh, so anyways, okay, hope they enjoy themselves. Okay, Psalm 119, let's read verses 33 through 48. <coughs> should be on the screen or in your booklet. Verse 33, teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from, way, from looking at worthless things. Give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts and your righteousness. Give me life. Oh, there we go. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then shall I have an answer to him who taunts me, for I trust in your word. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for my hope is in your rules. I will keep your law continually forever and ever, and I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings and shall not be put to shame, for I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands towards your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. So just as we're beginning to think through this, you read the whole thing. Uh, I want to summarize what I see as 13 things God does, 13 things we do. So I'm just going to give you that list that seems to holistically explain the whole thing. And then we're going to dive into each verse and section, okay? So 13 things God does. Number one, teaches me. Number two, gives me understanding. Number three, leads me in the path of his commandments. Number four, he inclines my heart to his testimonies. Number five, he turns away my eyes from looking at worthless things. Number six, he gives me life in his ways. Number seven, he confirms his promise. If you can't keep up with me, they're directly in the text. As you read through it, you'll get it. Uh, number eight, turn away my reproach. Number nine, he gives me life. Number ten, he keeps his promise to send steadfast love and salvation to me. 
Number 11, he gives me an answer for those who taunt me. Number 12, he keeps the word of truth in my mouth. Number 13, he allows me or enables me to walk in a wide place. Then 13 things we respond, 13 ways we respond to God, that we will, number one, keep his statutes. Number two, keep and observe his law with our whole heart. Number three, delight in his commands. Number four, we will fear God. Number five, we will long for his precepts. Number six, we will trust in his word. Number seven, we will hope in his rules. Number eight, we will seek his precepts. Number nine, we will speak of his testimonies. Number 10, we will delight in his commandments. Number 11, we will love his commandments. Number 12, we will lift up our hands to his commandments. And number 13, we will meditate on his statutes. 13 things God does, then 13 things we do. And I love the way this passage folds it out, because as you read already in the beginning, God starts and then we follow up. God acts and we respond. The first thing God does is give me understanding, then I can keep his word. The thing that God has to do is teach me. That will enable me to keep it. God has to turn away my eyes. That enables me to look at other things. God does these things and then I do these things. And so often I think in our Bible reading, we come, not even on purpose sometimes, with an I will and then God does respond. I read the Bible saying I will do this and then God will respond by doing this. Which in some cases can certainly be true. God's made promise you do something and God responds with something. But the primary emphasis needs to be switched for us to say, I need to focus and ask that God would do what he has to do to enable me to respond the way that I need to do. To enable me to do the things I need to do with God's word. I think so often part of our problem is we try to keep the 13 things that we do without asking God for the first 13 things that he does. And that's why it gets so hard. We're trying to keep his statutes and speak about him and love his commandments. And we try so hard. We want to do the right thing. And it's just falling short. We get so frustrated with Bible reading and trying to be a Christian. But because we've missed the process, the step-by-step thing that God does, God acts and then we respond. And the first thing we have to do before we do anything else is ask God to do the thing we need him to do so that we can respond in a way that's right and good for us. So the psalm goes ahead and sets that up for us to say, hey, it all starts with God, and so often our natural response and natural bent, just because we're wired this way, is for it to start with us, start with me. And I get it backwards, and then it becomes a, a religion of rules, and reading the Bible becomes something I do, as opposed to something I'm receiving from the Lord, asking him to do something to me as I open up his word. And so this passage gives us a good, helpful way by which we need to constantly remind ourselves of how we are reading our Bibles. What produces love for the Bible? Well, the first thing is asking God to give me understanding. You know, love just doesn't come out of nowhere. And so now I need to go to the Lord. And what's helpful, I think, about this too, as much as teaching the Bible, we need teachers, it's in the Bible, et cetera, et cetera, that's good. So hopefully you learn stuff from me. But the primary thing is you're asking God. You know what I'm saying? You're not asking Nate Crew. You can ask me, sure, I'd love to help you. But your primary person isn't your mentor, your disciple maker, whatever, is God. To say, I'm going to turn to you first, and I'm going to hear, try to hear as best I can clearly from you, and as much help as I can get from others to make that happen, great. But I feel like sometimes, even in my world, uh, my response is to like hit up a podcast or whatever. I'm going somewhere else other than like really waiting for God to help me understand. You know, even when I, I, so I love commentaries, you should read a commentary. But I noticed in my Bible reading that I would read the, read the Bible and then instantly go to the commentary. 
Like, I read it, and then I, I learn what someone else said about it without even giving God a chance just to speak straight to me through the word. I replaced it, you know. And as helpful as that commentary was to help me learn the Bible and grow, there came a point where I needed that to be secondary to say, I need God to speak to me. I have the spirit of God. I'm going to ask him directly. And then if I really don't get it, or just to make sure I'm, I'm hearing right, I'll double check other people and see what other godly men and women have said. And so it's just so natural for all of us just to turn anywhere else but the Lord. And sometimes that's because it takes longer because we're supposed to wait on him. So you learn a good principle here with, with Bible reading and searching these things out that God acts, we respond. God acts, we respond. So you got to give God the space to do that. And what we're going to talk about in a little bit is how this teaches you to pray when you read your Bible. So, okay, that's the first thing. This is the whole, that's the whole thing together. Now, another thing I wanted to, to look at and focus on is this. He says, give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. And one of the best things to do as you're trying to read the Bible and really discern what it says is navigate key phrases that seem to be standing out to you in the moment, that seem to be giving something that the Lord wants you to say. And so I was reading through this and, man, I just kept thinking, like, what does it mean to give God my whole heart? You know, like, how, am I keeping his law with my whole heart? What does that actually mean? How can I discern whether that's true or not? Do I love God with my whole heart or just part of it? And how do I know? And what am I doing? And, and as I was reading this, I began to do a little research uh, online about how many times the Bible talks about a whole heart. And I'm telling you this because this is stuff you should do when you're reading the Bible. Remember, the most important thing about our time tonight isn't that I teach you something right now. It's that you learn how to study the Bible on your own and you can spend every day with Jesus getting gold from the Bible. And then I'd come or whoever's teaching Sunday or whatever. We're just the cherry on top. We're not the meat. Your teachers are not the meat, the substance. The Bible is. You should be getting that from the Lord yourself. And then teachers come and they just add a little extra. That's the whole benefit of this, okay? So I want to make sure we're prioritizing that to say, hey, look, the Lord wants you to spend time with him and to discern his word for yourself from him and then get help from others as a secondary thing. And so as I was reading this, it's a great thing to do to take phrases that are standing out to you. and You can use Google. You don't need, you don't need Bible software like I have or anything like that. You can find ways to do this. So whole hearts. Let me give you a little bit of the Bible's view of a whole heart. I thought it was pretty interesting as I was reading through it. Because the last thing you want to do is be a half-hearted Christian. So uh, the whole heart, number one, it's used six times in Psalm 119. So just in Psalm 119, it's used six times, the phrase whole heart, in relation to seeking after God, knowing God, understanding God, following God. Whole heart is used six times in Psalm 119, and then really countless times, I didn't go through it all, throughout the whole Psalms, the whole Bible, and especially the Old Testament. I'm going to give you a few examples of that. The first example is from Jeremiah. So you can write down these references if you want. Jeremiah 3.10, it says that the people didn't return to the Lord with their whole heart. And that's the reason why he continued to punish them. So they were like limping in. They were mad and grumbling and complaining. The people didn't return to God with their whole heart. And then God punishes and continues to allow them to stay in exile. And so now we see the reason God is punishing, disciplining his children there in Jeremiah 3 verse 10 is that they didn't return to him with their whole heart. And what we're going to learn throughout all of the scriptures is that God requires everyone's whole heart. Even now in the New Testament, you can't go to God with half your heart and be received by him. That's not how it works. You have to give God your whole heart, which is impossible, which is why now, Jeremiah 24, 7, God promises to give them a new heart so they can give God their whole heart. 
So your natural disposition is the same as then, so is mine. That I am unwilling and unable to give God my whole heart. I don't want to do that, and I don't trust him like I should. I love sin too much, and I won't give God my whole heart. Even if I come limping back to him because of some pain in my life, I'll still do so for selfish motives, and I won't give God my whole heart. This is how we're all wired to be. Therefore, we need God to do something to us before we can respond back to him. So that's why Jeremiah 24-7, God says, hey, my people can't give me their whole heart. I require their whole heart, otherwise they can't be with me. So now, he says, I'm going to give them a new heart, and so they can give me their whole heart. And this is exactly the truth we see in the New Testament, where Jesus comes to live a life you can never live, die the death that you deserve, be raised again from the dead. He says, if anybody follows me, he'll give you eternal life, and he'll give you a new heart. One that loves him and wants to be, Romans 6 says, obedient from the heart. So through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we're given a new heart that actually enables us to give God our whole heart in a way that's acceptable to him. Which we cannot do on our own. And so we need to give God our whole heart. We can't do it. We won't do it. Nobody has done it apart from God's help. What I love about this, Jeremiah 32, 41, this is actually, I need to do a little bit more research on it. I was reading this in my personal devotions like, I don't know, a, a week ago or something. And uh, God says that I'm going to return and establish you. And he says I'm going to love and delight in you. And I'm going to do it with all my heart and soul. And I was like, I wonder if God's ever said all my heart anywhere else in the Bible. And I hadn't taken the time to research that yet. You should go look at that. But I was fascinated by it. I'm, I'm so used to using that language for me. I got to give God my whole heart. I got to give him all. And then God uses that language back to us and them in Jeremiah 32 to say, hey, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it with all my heart. I'm not going to do it halfway, and eventually we see he's going to send Jesus and give everything, his whole heart to us so that we could come to know him. So a second example in the Old Testament, uh, 1 Chronicles 28.9, a whole heart was David's prayer for his son Solomon. So David is passing off the kingdom. This is a really big deal. It's a bigger deal than like passing off the presidency. That's the best idea I could probably give you. It's like a man passing off his entire inheritance, something, something like that. You're passing off something very precious and valuable, and that's large to manage. And so he's very concerned about how this is going to go. His main prayer for his son, if anything happens, is that God would give him a whole heart for him. Before he asked for resources, wisdom, help, blah, 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 which he needs, he asked God to give Solomon a whole heart towards him so that he can follow him. And then later in 1 Chronicles 28, in the same section, you see that the people of God... Give, uh, this is, uh, you can write down, sorry, 1 Chronicles 29.9, the people of God give this free will offering to God. It's actually really interesting because they're going to God and, and they've given somewhat. And now there's a second ask to say, out of the free will of your heart, without any restrictions, obligations, or numbers put in front of you, what do you want to give to God out of your freedom? And then the people respond and they give super generously. And they're super excited because now they have served God with what? Their whole heart. They didn't serve him obligatorily. They didn't serve him because somebody else said to. They didn't serve him and met the standard. They served him with their whole heart. And it gave them great reason to rejoice. When they gave their whole heart to the Lord, their heart was wholly full. This is a beautiful principle for your life. When you give your whole heart to the Lord, your heart becomes wholly full. And the reason why we feel so empty sometimes in our heart is because we haven't given it all the way to the Lord or we are withholding something from him. So we see that example there. Another example of a whole heart in the Old Testament. 2 Chronicles 
the lack of a whole heart is the reason that King Amaziah destroyed his own kingdom. It says, this is interesting, it says that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, except he did not follow him with his whole heart. And I just wonder how many people, you know, as a part of this church, or maybe you come to these gatherings, or there's an element in which you are taking a step and you're, you're trying to follow, but you haven't given him your whole heart. You know, what happens in Amaziah's life is the first test, he listens to God, he follows his instructions, he wins a battle. When he comes home from the battle, he brings all the idols of the people they conquered, he begins to worship them. And then the next test comes, and because he was worshiping other idols, he doesn't listen to God's advice and wisdom. He puts himself in a terrible position with the king of Judah, and he gets captured and loses his kingdom because he didn't listen to the Lord. And the reason he didn't do that was because he didn't give God his whole heart. And it looked like for a time being that he was taking the steps he needed to follow God and listen to his voice. But because he had only given God part of his life, when the time came for him to be tested to take something else, his heart was not full with God, so he had to fill it with something else. And that led to his ultimate destruction. This story I just felt like is so possibly true for so many of us that there's ways in which we're following the Lord with half of our heart. Maybe we've taken a first step or two, but soon when the time comes for us to be tempted, because we're still holding back from God, we're going to go after the thing that's ultimately going to destroy us. We have to and must give God our whole heart if we're going to live in a way that pleases him and that allows us to flourish I think what we learn from this and all these examples is that half-hearted Christianity is no Christianity at all. There's no such thing as being half-hearted Christian. There's no such thing as going halfway or part way. There's no such thing as just dipping your toes in the water and feeling how warm it is. You're either all in or all out. The only way to live as a Christian is to be wholehearted towards the Lord. You know, something the way I, I thought about this, because you want to think it's not just a requirement, but it's a delight. That's how the Bible talks about it. When my wife and I were in L.A. this weekend. It was 60 degrees and sunny. Oh, it was so amazing. When we got off the plane Sunday to come back to D.C., it was like 30 degrees and rainy. And I was like, oh, you know, it's just terrible. So, anyways, I love the city, okay. So, we were there, 60 degrees and sunny. We were only there for a couple of days. And so, when I got to the rental car place, I had originally rented an SUV. <clears throat> and I asked them, I said, man, yo, I'm here with my wife. We have never gotten away like this with, before our kids. So, ever since we had kids, we haven't done anything like this. This is a big deal. So me and my wife are just away for the weekend. My parents are watching the kids. This is an amazing thing, you know. We're there in L.A., and I'm like, man, <clears throat> this weather is too beautiful, and I'm here with my wife to be driving this old SUV. So, my brother, what else do you have? Do you have anything that would make this trip more enjoyable? I'm only here for two days. He goes, he looks, blah, 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 I can't find anything. And he keeps going, blah, blah, blah. He looks, he goes, oh. He says, we have one thing left that would be something like that. It's a black Mercedes convertible. And I was like, that sounds amazing. And then he told me the price. And I was like, that doesn't sound amazing anymore. And I was like, man, I can't afford that. He was like, let me, let me check on something. And, you know, and I'm just praying, Lord, come on, just do something. Just do something. Work in his heart. And he comes back to me, and <clears throat> he cuts the price like 90%. And he's like, can you do this? I'm like, uh, yes, I can absolutely do that, 100%. And I'm like, does the insurance cover the same? Because this is an expensive car. And he's like, yes. So I'm like, okay, praise God. So we get this black Mercedes convertible, okay. 
right now, my two cars are a minivan for my children, and I have a very old Red Escape with like hundreds of thousands of miles on it that doesn't start very well. And uh, the, the air conditioning can only go full speed or no speed. Uh, there's no, it's, it's four or zero, that's it. And so I'm either like blasted or I get nothing. So that's my present experience in my cars, which is fine. I don't care about cars that much anyways. But we're there, and this is a brand spanking new black Mercedes convertible. It took me about half an hour to figure out how to get the top down, number one. Shows you I have no idea how to deal with nice things. Number two, when we got that top down, we did not stop driving for two days. We drove everywhere. I'm telling you, who's from Cali? Anybody? Okay, a few of you. Man, we were driving down the Pacific Coast Highway. We were like driving in, in Malibu. We were driving around in Malibu in a black Mercedes convertible. People looking at us like we're the ones who belong there. And I'm like, yeah, that's right, that's right. Yeah, you know, you know how it is. I'm some, I'm some tech. I was like asking my wife, like, what do you? Do you think, number one, they think we have rich parents? Do we look young enough for that? Number two, do they think I'm some, like, IT mobile or, you know, some sort of tech guy that made it real big real fast? And number three, do they think I stole the car? Like, what are the options? When people drive by, what are they assuming about us? I was very interested in this. It's likely that they didn't even care because it's L.A. and they probably see lots of convertibles. I thought it was cool, and I'm sure they did it. So I was driving around, and, you know, we wore the mess out of that car. We drove up and down. I did not care where we were going, where we would get to, when we would get there. None of those things came into my mind. I enjoyed that Mercedes 100%, drove it every second, and was just living the dream for two whole days until I had to give it back and then come back to D.C. and not start my car. And while I was there, I began to think about this. You know, <clears throat> it would make no sense for me to get in that Mercedes and be half-hearted about it. It would make no sense for me to get in there and be like, huh, well, I mean, I guess this feels all right, you know, if I have to. Or, you know, like, man, this was really great for like an hour and then it's pretty normal after that. It, it would make no sense for me to take something like that and then get in it. And be like, ho-hum about it. And this is the same thing I want you to think about with the scriptures and with your relationship with the Lord. Is it's not just that you have to, but it's that it makes no sense to do anything but give God your whole heart. God is so great and so enjoyable and so valuable and so beautiful and so precious and so good and so faithful and so perfect in everything that he is. That being with him and in him and in a relationship with him is infinitely greater than being in that Mercedes. And so then to say, hey, uh, to be ho-hum and half-hearted about a relationship with God is a great warning sign that you might not have a relationship with God at all. If I just drove around that Mercedes with a big frown on my face, you'd wonder if I was crazy or what was wrong with me. And so I want you to have that picture about being half-hearted towards God. It is required. So this is important. You cannot give God half of your heart and get into heaven. That, that doesn't work. So you have to trust in Jesus so that he can give you his whole heart so you can have a new heart and follow him. It's required. It has to be so. But at the same time, it's a delight. It's something good. It's not something like obligatory, something you have to work your way into. If you have to convince yourself to give God your whole heart, you have a totally misunderstanding view of God. You don't know what he's like. You don't know what it's like to know him if you have to convince yourself to enjoy him. And this is the, the, the thing the Bible keeps going back to, especially in the Psalms. Just for note, as you're reading through Psalm 119, you should circle every time it says delight. Just circle it every time. It's going to be a bunch. And the whole idea is when we're reading the Bible, we need to go from obligatory to delight. We don't read the Bible because we have to. We read it because it's the best thing we could ever enjoy. Because we love God. 
He's better than the Mercedes. And so we don't want to be half-hearted towards God. Okay, finally, and so then you guys can talk. <clears throat> he says, lead me in your path for your commandments, for I, there's delight, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies, not to selfish gain. This one, turn my eyes away from looking at worthless things. And then the opposite is to give me life. You know what was great about this? As I was reading through it, and I was thinking, when worthless things, it could mean like vain things, empty things. Another way to think through it even more deeply is false things, i.e. things that promise one thing but don't fulfill it. It's a worthless thing, even if it looks great, if it can't come through on the experience it promises you. Things that leave you empty, things that aren't worth your time. So he's saying turn away your eyes from looking at, enjoying, pursuing worthless things. Okay, what's the opposite of that? Well, the opposite of that is to give me life according to your way. You see what I'm saying? The reason why our eyes look at these worthless things is because we think there's life there. And for one second, it looks like it will give me life. And then we learn, as soon as we try it, that it doesn't deliver what it promised. It turns up empty. And that's why he's saying once again, hey, it's not just that you can't, it's not just that it's bad to fix your eyes on things of this world that are sinful. But it's bad for you. It's destroying your joy. It's not giving you life. So he's saying, and look, this is so important. Instead of us just spinning our wheels, trying so hard to be better, do better, which we should put effort into our walk with Jesus. The first thing, though, he says is, hey, God, can you do this for me? God, can you turn my eyes? He didn't even say, help me turn my eyes. He said, God, I need you to turn my eyes away from things that are worthless. Like, give me something new. Help me to see worthless things as worthless. Don't let me be fooled and deceived anymore. Change the way I see the world and give me life according to your way so that I can actually have life. I want life. I'm trying to get life. And he's saying it's not working the way I'm doing it now. So, Lord, would you please turn my eyes away from those things, the things that are shimmering, the things that look glamorous, the things that are shiny, and the things that will ultimately bite me in the butt. Those things, turn my eyes away from them and give me life your way. This should be the prayer every morning when you wake up. You're walking around and your eyes are just, my eyes are just all, a thousand worthless things to look at to think will give me life, and we need to beg the Lord to say, hey, Lord, would you please turn my eyes away. Give me new eyes. Help me to see differently. Would you do this for me, and then I'll join you as you do that. So it doesn't make you passive. It doesn't mean you don't try. It just means your first thing is to ask God to do it. And that's going to give you more victory over sin in your life than trying your very hardest. So, okay, those are some things I wanted to focus on a lot there. So why don't you guys, uh, da -da -da -da. oh, wait, let me get to the questions. Man, I just really stink at technology. Okay, fantastic. There we go. So talk about these questions at your tables, and then we'll finish up after that.
All right, all right. Here, let's finish this uh, section off here. It's getting late. Maybe you can catch, uh, you know, the back end of Phil Wickham there. Uh, okay, 41. <clears throat> and this last section, I just want to point out a couple of things to you uh, that's here. What's interesting about this, whoop, this part, man, I really, give me that, there we go. Let your steadfast love come to me, your salvation, according to your promise. You know what's great about this, if my pen worked, I can try to write it. Second Corinthians 1.20 says, you can read that, right? That looks pretty good. Second Corinthians 1.20 says, all of God's promises are yes in Christ Jesus. And so we see uh, a, a fulfillment of this type of thought to say, hey, Lord, make good on your promise to bring about salvation for your people, ultimately in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so as we're reading this in the 21st century, we're looking back to God's fulfillment of his greatest promise to save his people through Jesus. If you haven't believed and trusted in Jesus, that is your only most important step tonight. You see also here, uh, I love this, he says, hey, and I shall walk in a wide place. He's going to end right here. That's where you find a ton of the I wills or this is what I'm going to do. So most of the what God does represents the beginning and most of the what I do represents the end. And one of the things that God does is he allows us to walk in a wide place. Why? For I have sought your precepts. And so, so often, look at this. This is really amazing because what I, I've learned about God is that if you walk according to his way, your opportunities expand and your road gets wider for service to him. You know what I'm saying? Like God loves to expand what he's doing in your life and to expand your capacity for joy and to expand your experience of love. And he provides those things when we seek his precepts. Our road, this is great. Why? What do people say about Christianity? It's restrictive. Well, what does the Bible say about Christianity? It opens up your world. When you follow according to God's word and you trust God's rules and ways, it doesn't limit your joy or restrict your life. It actually frees you from the restrictions you've put on yourself and the dead ends you keep running into. And it opens things up so that you can walk in a wide place that leads towards somewhere productive. This is amazing. This is the opposite view of the Bible that everybody around you is going to think and believe. And what we need to constantly be reminding ourselves and those around us is the Bible is not restrictive in your life. It actually, through following God's commands, opens up your experience of life. It provides what you've been looking for everywhere else, but not with a dead end on it and not with an aftertaste. God opens up your world through experiencing him and following him when you seek his precepts. So one of the main reasons why we love and delight and find reading the Bible a privilege is because as we seek his precepts, he opens up our world and allows us to walk in a wide place, more opportunities to experience the fullness of life that God has for us, even in the midst of suffering and trials that come to us. That doesn't mean that the wide place is going to be full of just kicks and giggles, you know, we all know that. But it means that throughout the ups and downs of life, I'll be walking in a way with purpose and I'll be filling myself up with Jesus who helps me in the midst of these trials and struggles. It opens up my world, it expands my horizons, it expands my capacities, it, following God's way, helps me walk in a wide place. It's the opposite of restrictive. 
It's just like we've used this analogy before. It's not even mine. I forget where I got it from. But, right, where is a fish restricted? Is a fish restricted when you pull him out of the water and just let him be wherever he wants to be or when you give him boundaries of the water? Where is he more restricted? He's more restricted in freedom because he can't operate there. When is the fish going to survive and do well? When he's in the boundaries of the ocean. It's the same thing with us. When we think we're free, we're floundering around and dying because we can't operate that way. But when we live within the according to God's design and commands and follow his rules, we actually flourish. Just so important because as you think about reading the Bible, following Jesus, denying yourself, fleeing from temptation, stopping doing things that feel good for a moment, pursuing Jesus, letting go of the things you're pursuing now that are worldly. When you think about all those things, you can't think about it as, well, ho-hum, I'm giving something up, this sucks. No, the Bible says, hey, you seek God's precepts, he's going to open up your world. You're going to experience the life that he's designed for you, even in the midst of trials and sufferings and temptations. It's the exact opposite of the way you are sinfully and my sinfully hardwired to view the Bible and view God. And we have to constantly remind ourselves that God's way doesn't restrict my joy, it expands it. God's way doesn't restrict my opportunities in life, it expands it. So God wants you to walk in a wide place. Uh, I love this thing right here. He says, okay, hey, look, I will speak of your testimonies before kings. Why? For I find my delight in your commandments. And so, look at this, which I love. So you got love, delight, love. <clears throat> I'm going to look at it. I'm going to speak your testimonies. Why? Because I delight in your commandments. So one of the things, just the natural overflow things we see here is that speaking about Jesus and his way in your spheres of influence and the places where you go is a natural overflow of experiencing delight in God's commandments. You will not have boldness and power to evangelize and share the gospel if you are not privately engaging and spending time with God. You know what I'm saying? We try so hard. This is just true. I love this from John 15. He says, you can do nothing without me. And what I've learned from that is burnout comes when I try to follow God without abiding in him. That's when I burn out. That's when life gets hard, and that's when being a Christian is difficult. But when I abide in him, when I'm told to go share, the, I don't even need to be told to go share the gospel. Because I'm delighting in his commandments, I, my natural overflow is to speak about his testimonies before kings, before whoever God puts in front of me. If I abide in God and spend time with him and seek his precepts, he opens up my path. If I abide in God and spend time with him and seek him, he's going to open up my delight. He's going to open up my love. He's going to give me boldness and encouragement to share the gospel. And now when somebody comes and says, hey, here's a charge. We need to go live this out as Christians. Not because the pastor said it or because anybody else said it, but because I'm spending so much time with Jesus, it's a natural overflow to obey. It's really, really stinging hard to try to be a Christian and not spend time with Jesus. And that's why some of you might hate being a Christian or you find it just unnecessarily difficult. God hasn't designed it that way. And he wants you to flourish. And once again, it doesn't mean you won't have hard times. and It doesn't mean you won't have ups and downs. But that means that God has designed it so that your delight in him will create your obedience around the world. That's the first and foremost thing. Finally, as we see this, delight, love, delight, <laughs> love. He's going to say this over and over again throughout the Bible. Uh, just as we finish up my last thought on that, as I'm thinking through, you know, the Bible and his view of it, you know, we, uh, so my wife and I were in L.A. and I said that, and we went to, uh, she has a friend there who owns a candy shop, ironically enough. I've never had a friend who owned a candy shop, which is an interesting experience because you can walk in the candy shop and just get whatever you want. It's really weird. You're just like walking around, like, you're just like picking stuff up and eating it. And you're just beginning to think I'm setting a bad example for actual customers. And I'm like, y'all, you can't actually do what I'm doing. I'm special. You're not. And so you can't do that. So don't follow my example because I'm trying to sneak some stuff. But they were like, hey, just fill up some bags and take them home to your kids. 
And this was hilarious because when we filled up like five bags, pounds of candy, chocolate, sour, gummy, you name it, man, just anything, just pounds of candy to bring home. Definitely the airport thought we were trying to smuggle drugs some way or another because they pulled both our backpacks into the thing, questioned us, and pulled out all our stuff. I'm like, you better not touch my candy. You better not do that. Don't do that. Don't, don't act like you need this as evidence. No, no, no. This is not the game that we're playing. This is my candy. All right, keep your hands off. So I, we had the candy. And just that experience of walking in there and really, you know, all the sweet stuff. And for those of you who are like, oh, we eat kale. Okay, well, that stinks for you. I like candy. It's an enjoyable experience for me, and I like enjoyable experiences. So I eat candy, um, and uh, my kids were loving it. It was just great. And, uh, you know, just being in there, and her little daughter was there. She's like, my son's age. She's like four which is like, I can't imagine if my mom owned a candy shop and we went there. I mean, when you're four, just imagine being four and constantly going to a place where you can just eat whatever you want. That's crazy. So uh, it's amazing that she looks like she's in great shape, right? So I hope that continues to stay. Uh, but when I'm, I'm, I'm in there and I'm like, this is an amazing experience. I can just fully enjoy this. And I thought to myself as I was reading this, sometimes we make delight and love and joy such spiritual words that they don't mean anything anymore. And what I want you to really think about is the reading the Bible is like a kid in a candy shop. It's like here's all this amazing stuff you can freely enjoy. You don't have to ask anybody. You don't have to pay for it. You don't have to do anything. Jesus has already done everything necessary for you to be in a relationship with God so you can have access to him. And then God's already written down his word for you. You don't have to wonder where it is. You don't have to ask somebody for it. It's there. You have the Bible. God's already spoken to you. And so now engaging the Bible in the thousands and thousands of words should feel like being a kid in a candy shop. She's like, man, this is just an amazing experience to delight. It's an amazing experience to love. It's an amazing thing I can enjoy. And there's endless possibilities, and nobody's making me pay for it, and I can do it as much as I like. That's my, my, that is how we have to begin to view the Bible if we really want to flourish as followers of Jesus. All right, so take the next few minutes. Hey, it's 9.04. That was maybe my fastest segment I've ever done. Uh, so you guys should be super proud of me and uh, all of that. All right, so take the next five. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, take the next five minutes <clears throat> uh, and finish this conversation up, all right? So go ahead and do that.
Cool. Hey, everybody. Hey, let me pray, and I'll close this up. Feel free to leave, but if you want to keep talking, that's fantastic. Do that. So let me just pray, formally close this out. And if you're having a good conversation, just keep it up. Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you for this time in your word. I pray that it would root deep in our hearts, that we would really believe that your way is the best way to seek your precepts, leads to a wide path, uh, that we should delight and love your word. And I pray uh, most of all that you would enable us by your spirit to really give you our whole hearts and turn away our eyes from looking at worthless things and give us life in your name. So we ask that you would make all these truths come, come true, come to fruition uh, in our lives as we go from here. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.